0: Welcome in Bears fans to please bear with me. I'm your host Travis Corley and you guys thought I was going to come in all sad, didn't you? Nope. We are an optimistic podcast and so therefore we stay optimistic. Are there a few things to be down about in regards to Baylor football? Sure. I'm sad about losing games. I'm sad about losing coaches, but hey, life goes on. We've got a lot to get to, like quickly, yes quickly, covering the TCU loss and also Coach McGuire heading on to the Texas Tech Raiders to be their head coach. We've also got an amazing guest for you this week that Scotty has hooked us up with, Bobby Evans, former Oklahoma offensive lineman and current LA Rams offensive lineman joins the podcast to talk the OU matchup and a little small world stuff here. My wife graduated from Allen High School with Bobby. So, A up and enjoy. Please bear with me. Thank you all for joining us again for another episode of Please Bear With Me. And we are going to kick this episode off with the hot news revolving around this Baylor football team. That is, Coach Joey McGuire has accepted the head coaching position for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And man, I am very happy for Coach McGuire, very happy. For his family, he has been a Texas football legend, is a Texas football legend, and now has just moved his way up the ranks and finally is going to get an opportunity to coach at one of the highest levels you can get to in Texas football with the Texas Tech Red Raiders in a Power 5 conference. And, This guy is so humble. This is a guy that most players and fans wanted to see hired ahead of Aranda. Most people wanted him to be our next head coach, and he didn't get the job, which we all know. But yet, he's able to swallow his pride and he sticks with the team. And I could imagine how awkward that could be and some possible animosity being created between Maguire and between Aranda, but th- there was none to be seen, none to be found. He sticks around, they build a great relationship, and that affected the team in a positive way. There were so many ways that this could have gone negative with keeping Maguire around, um, but you didn't see it. It just didn't happen. And I'm not sure of many other coaches that would hang around with a team that was like, nah, we're good. We, we don't need you as a head coach. We're good. I, I don't know how many guys would stick around. So, man, credit, credit Joey McGuire a lot for sticking around and for just being a positive and genuine guy, which we've all uh, grown to love him for. And I think that just speaks further to the culture of this team and how great that these two men are in Coach Randa. And coach coach McGuire and the reaction on social media was was so positive I mean from our team from our fans from text from tech fans and hey gotta turn my phone there on silent and there we go okay so like I said the, re- the reaction from the media was positive um, from our team from fans from tech fans pretty much anyone who is a Texas high school football fan. I mean, the reaction has been positive. And I'm I, another thing I'm not sure about is how many coaches, how many coaches have left their current team midway through the season to accept a head coaching position at a rival school. I don't I'm not sure if that's happened very often or at all. And on top of that, we're happy for them. <laughs> like <laughs> We just lost one of our coaches to a rival school in the middle of the season and we're all happy for him. Like that, that's just crazy. It's a little bit weird, a little bit weird. You know, we're kind of just like, congrats and we love you, but bye. And also a little weird that we're playing tech in like three weeks. So man, just kind of a, I guess weird is a wrong, is a unique. That's probably the best way to describe it. It's a very unique situation. And I think anyone who follows the program closely knows how beloved Joey McGuire is. I don't think anyone's shocked. He's getting a shot as a head coach. I was expecting him to be gone after this year with the amount of open jobs, with the the credit that he has gained here at Baylor. But this it makes sense for him to move on now with the early signing day for recruiting. It just it it makes sense, and he's not going to be on the sidelines for Tech. Tech has come out; they said he's going to start his head coaching duty duties immediately following the 21 season. But he is a part of that program officially as we speak. Rhodes and Aranda, I, I mean, both came out, were excited, and were happy for McGuire. Uh, Rhodes jokingly in his uh, little press comments on Monday, you know, told McGuire, "Hey, say your goodbyes." But get out because now you're the enemy. Um, and look, there there wasn't any animosity there. Mac Rhodes said it with a smile, kind of halfway joking, but at the same time seriously, like, hey, you're not you're not with us anymore. So deuces. I think my biggest worry though with McGuire leaving is the recruiting aspect. And are we going to take a step back in that aspect? He, we found out t- uh, today on Tuesday. He's taking James Blanchard with him. So far, so far. So only ones only one down, so far. Hopefully, hopefully no more go. But Blanchard was our assistant AD for scouting, just another great recruiter, another person that is excellent at finding those diamonds in the rough that Baylor was so often able to do. So a pretty big loss in the recruiting game here. They already got a commitment, a commitment from Jalen Peoples. Who is a three-star cornerback from guess where? Cedar Hill. And that is where Joey Maguire came to Texas football fame. So not, you know, disappointed we didn't get peoples to come to Baylor, but not shocked at all that he he's committed to tech here. The butt bowl, guys. The butt bowl just became a lot more interesting for this year, yes, but even more so for next year, because McGuire is going to be on the sidelines next year and hopefully for a, a lot of years to come losing to Baylor yes key, key information there losing to Baylor and last thing you know I've seen people react with this probably means Aranda is staying because Maguire was going to be in line to be the next you know Baylor head coach okay yeah I, I keep telling myself that too any, any way I can get some confidence that Aranda is going to stick around for a long time, I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself. Okay. But look, if it, the, the truth is if Aranda likes another job better, he's going to go. Okay. He's going to go this M- McGuire leaving. I don't think says anything about the future of Dave Aranda at Baylor university and McGuire can't just hang around and wait for that opening to come. He's got to take those opportunities when they come and Texas tech came knocking and I mean you can't blame him for taking it so excited and so happy for Joey McGuire can't thank him enough for everything he did for Baylor University I mean he put us helped helped put us back on the map for sure helped put us back on the map and man we're sad to see him go we wish him luck obviously not against Baylor TCU. Oh man, TCU. It was not a fun game to watch and I was so wrong. I was so overconfident coming into this game. I was even looking ahead to OU a little bit. I didn't have the butterflies that I normally do before games that I had against TCU. So yeah, a little overconfident on my part. Had the Bears winning 31-13. Whew. Yeah, we gave up Much more than 13 points. But look, one thing I forgot TCU versus Baylor. Always weird. Always weird. And to start the game, though, TCU receives, they punt. Abram Smith right off the bat goes for 48 yards on our first play. We score two plays later. Everything seems great. Force a TCU fumble the next time out, which I didn't even know happened really until they reviewed it. So at this point, I think everyone was like, okay, like we're rolling. Here we go. And thinking we would take off from there, but we didn't. We didn't take off. And another thing that made this game a little bit frustrating and not, not fun to watch, the penalties, my goodness, this game just absolutely littered with penalties on both sides. I think in total, there was over 30 flags thrown. 30. Like, (laughs) come on, Big 12 refs. Like, let's not affect the game this much. And there was definitely penalties that just didn't affect the game that had no business being called. But Baylor ended with six penalties for 65 yards, which isn't terrible. You know, not super bad, not 10 penalties like we had earlier in the year. But compared to how we've been in the last three games with penalties, this was pretty bad on us. But TCU, 13 penalties for 111 yards. And you guys know, I don't like to talk about officiating, but this game, I mean, it really did affect the game on both sides. And I want to be clear, it was bad for both sides. So, you know, I guess they were consistently bad. If you want to, you know, I don't know. They're consistently bad. That's all. That's all I gotta say. That's all I gotta say. But is the, there is one penalty I want to point out? It was seven to seven. It was our third drive. Ebner had a great return to the thirty-eight. We've got great field position. Bohannon rips off a nineteen-yard run. We're into TCU territory, and then an offensive pass interference on Ben Sims. I mean, is might have been the worst call of the game. He doesn't. He, he didn't even touch anybody on the route doesn't even touch anybody on the route and he's almost on the other side of the field I think it happened in the middle of the field but the play's not even going toward I mean it had no effect on the play whatsoever because guess what he didn't even touch a guy so hey offensive pass interference 15 yard penalty we can't recover killed our drive so but hey penalties were bad on both sides of the ball made the, the first half at least tough to watch tough to watch My bare necessities did not work out for this game, mainly because the first two were limit Zach Evans and contain Max Duggan, and neither of them played, which may have also been a factor into my overconfidence. You know, they announced on Saturday morning that they wouldn't be playing, and we thought it would only help us win, but it didn't. So maybe what I should have said was contain Chandler Morris, because the dude was making plays inside the pocket, outside the pocket. I mean. He was making plays all game. And Chandler Morris, freshman quarterback, went 29 of 41 for 461 yards and two touchdowns. We also let him lead their team in rushing with 70 yards rushing and a touchdown. Our pass pass rush was not there. It just was not there. Morris had plenty of time all game. And then the times that we did get to him, he was slippery. We just couldn't make the tackle. You know, I remember a... Pretty crucial third and long. It was at least 10 yards, I want to say, where Petrie, I mean, Petrie literally has him in both of his arms, and Morris is able to escape. Throws a, I think, throws a little lob pass, or maybe this was the one where he ran it for a first down. But either way, we were giving up third down conversions to this freshman quarterback left and right. Left and right. And Morris, I, I, we got to give Morris credit, okay? He came out there against this. Very stout Baylor defense and played out of his mind. Just played excellent. So definitely want to give Morris his credit there. He played an amazing game and TCU, I mean, they better not look back. Max Duggan better not ever get back on the field for TCU because Chandler Morris is good. Chandler Morris is good, okay? One thing we can add to the Baylor kryptonite list. Number one on that list is Stillwater. And number two on the kryptonite Baylor list is TCU backup quarterbacks. We all remember Travon Boykin going off for four touchdowns in Waco back in 2012. So what happened defensively? I'm not quite sure. I mean, it is hard to prepare for a backup quarterback. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. But I don't think that's an excuse. You know, giving up over 400 yards in the air is never good. It's never Good. And Aranda pointed to the lack of pressure as the main issue here. I wanna I will throw in missed tackles to there as well. But hey, well, our, our pressure this game just it, it really wasn't there. And Aranda even said further that the lack of pressure hurt our coverage. And this was kind of surprising to me because our pressure had been so good over the last three games. We come into this game, only get one sack. Uh, I mentioned the missed tackles. And then uh, a breakdown on a corner blitz that they scored on. I'm not sure why. What happened there? uh, Looked like after the play that we were upset that Tejada went on the blitz. So maybe uh, a little mental error there. But we still had a chance to win. We still had so many chances to win. I mean, TCU was begging to give this game away to us. They were just almost handing it to us on a silver platter. And we've seen Baylor play poorly in the first half like against Texas, when we were down four at halftime. But this game, I'd say we even played more poor in the first half, and we were only down two. Only down two could have been a lot worse there at the end of the first half. And then the second half, two missed field goals from TCU. I mean, just trying to hand us the game here. One gets blocked by TJ Franklin. Great to see a special teams game-changing play, finally. And then the second one, they just flat-out missed. Flat-out missed. That would have put them up five with two minutes left. But instead, we get a chance to go and just get in field goal range. And I was feeling pretty confident about Hankins. He's banged some 45 yarders. And so I was feeling confident if we gave Hankins a chance within about 45 yards that he was going to have a chance to knock it in. And remember, two years ago, Matt Rule, pretty sure it was Mayers who hit like a 51 yarder to send us into overtime. So. Man, so many opportunities to win this game just couldn't come through. And everyone wants to talk about the Bohannon interception. And so we will here to end that game. So we're down to one minute left, right around the TCU 34. Uh, that's about a 49-yard field goal. And I disagree right here with Abram Smith being on the bench. He's got to be in on the final drive, period. And if you want Ebner in the game, that's great. Let's find a way to get both these guys on the field in our final drive. And originally on this interception, I thought we should have run the ball two more times, especially with the timeout. I was vocal about it on Twitter. Thought we should have ran it two more times, get into field goal range. And look, we've been very good on fourth down as well. So run it two more times, get into a fourth and manageable. If we don't like the field goal there, there, then hey, Go for it on fourth. How good have we been on fourth and short? And how many times have we converted on fourth down this year? A lot. A lot. But I am, I am wrong. I am wrong about running the ball on that play. The box was stacked six to five against us. So that tells you to pass. Okay. I, and, and this is 100% on Bohannon. He looks at Ben Sims the entire play to the short side of the field. And on top of that, threw an inaccurate pass behind him that caused the interception. And if you go back and watch the play, I, I encourage you to go back and watch the play. Look to the bottom of the screen. Look to the wide side of the field. The defenders are playing off. Bohannon's got to recognize that. Sneed is wide open for an easy five-yard gain. That, that's a throw that we've seen Gary make multiple times this year. He can make that. He, he just read it wrong. Stared down a receiver. Big mistake by Bohannon. But this is not what lost us the game. Losing a football game never comes down to just one play. You lose games across multiple mistakes over 60 minutes. And I would point out to giving up 400 yards in the air as probably one of the top reasons, amongst other things, of why we lost the game. So yeah, the interception was bad. But again, not the reason. We lost the game, had every opportunity to win that game in the other three quarters, and we did it. We just did. Individual performances, though. Abram Smith, 18 carries, 125 yards, 6.9 yards per rush. A solid game from Abram Smith, going for over 100 yards. Again, I believe that's above his game average as well. Jalen Petrie, man. I know the defense gave up a lot, but Jalen Petrie just balled out again. Keeps racking up the numbers. Third in tackles on the team. Five solo. Three passes defended. Three tackles for loss. One forced fumble. One fumble recovery. And Jalen Petrie, one of three players ever, ever through eight games. Two half. 44 total tackles. Nine and a half tackles for loss. Two sacks two interceptions, two forced fumbles, and two recoveries. Also, the only player, yes, only player in the nation with three forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, three plus forced fumbles, three plus fumble recoveries, and two plus interceptions, Jalen Petrie is your Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, and I will fight you if you don't vote for him. I will fight you. The oh-so-good player of the game. I had to go with an offensive player this week as our defense let us down. But Tyquan Thornton, five catches, 121 yards, two touchdowns, made some tough catches for us and Aranda. He mentioned in his presser on Monday that he didn't want to push Ty too hard last year in fear of losing him and boy am I glad that we didn't lose him. We all know his potential. We all know how good he really is and I am just so glad he's getting a chance in this offense to show it again this year. Tyquan Thornton, are oh so good player of the game. And now Scotty Swingler will bring us special guest, Bobby Evans. Hey,
1: Baylor fans, Scotty here. And I'm really excited to return to the podcast with a conversation. Bobby Evans is a... Offensive lineman for the Los Angeles Rams, and he was an all-Big 12 left tackle and right tackle during his time at Oklahoma, where he played from 2016 to 2018. He got to play up front for both Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. You'll hear us talk a little bit about that in just a second. I met Bobby at a wedding over the summer and was so impressed with Bobby's humility and friendliness and really just an all-around fun and wonderful person. He agreed back then uh, that if we could get in touch, maybe we could get him on the podcast, and I just thank him so much during a week that he has a game coming up that he would meet with me and talk with me on Zoom, even though, uh, you know, we are literally the podcast that covers the opponent of his college team this week, right? Like, there's no reason that Bobby had to come on and he was so gracious with his time. So I hope you enjoy this conversation that I got to have with Rams offensive lineman and former Oklahoma standout, Bobby Evans. All right, man. Well, let's get into it. Bobby Evans, offensive lineman, Los Angeles Rams. Bobby, I've had a couple of NFL guys on here, but probably none in the position you're in. And and I appreciate your time. Why don't you start by telling us your story, man, where you're from, how you, where you grew up and got into football and, and all of that, man. Tell us your story.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, originally I was born in um, McKinney, Texas. But uh, in the middle of first grade, I moved to Allen, Texas. And uh, that's where I you know, met a lot of great friends and made a lot of great memories and stuff like that. And uh, I started playing football as early as like second grade, um, you know, just running around the house with my two brothers all the time. I just, one day, me and my older brother just asked my father if we could uh, play, and he signed us up and went up from there.
1: Awesome, man. And and you went to Oklahoma. I didn't know this about you, but I, I was looking today, and your dad played basketball at Oklahoma. Your brother played football at Oklahoma. So you went to Oklahoma as, as really like a legacy guy.
2: Yeah, yep, yeah, definitely, yep. Yeah.
1: Was that an easy decision for you?
2: Yeah, it was real easy because uh, – like, uh, once, they, once they offered me and my brother say, at the same time, it was a done deal pretty much because uh, we've always wanted to go there since we were kids. And a uh, fun fact, actually, like, as a real, like, young, like, toddler, almost, like, you know, barely could talk, like, I told my parents I was going to go to OU and play in the NFL, which is weird. I don't know, but I did. I told them that at a really young age.
1: Well, it's something when you can reach those dreams and reach those goals, man. Tell me about playing with your brother. That's interesting to me. So I'm I'm really close with my brother, and uh, we were not ever that kind of athlete where we would have ever had that specific opportunity. But I would think the opportunity to line up with your brother would be really special.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was special, man. Because uh, you know my older brother, he was like my, but he well, he's still a, he's he's like my best friend, and uh, you know just being able to play the game that we both loved. And uh, together was just really a blessing, man. It was was special.
1: That's really cool, man. And, um, you know, when when I think of Oklahoma, and I think when the – casual sports fan right now thinks of oklahoma what we think of immediately is is the recent run of success right so i think of consecutive big 12 championships every year since 2015 i think of bob stoops and lincoln riley i think of um you know i pulled it up just a second ago i was looking in the history of the big 12 oklahoma has won the league 14 times the next closest school is texas with three and then my Baylor Bears with two and Kansas State with two. So it's, it's, it's pretty unreal, the string and the history of recent success that Oklahoma football has had. But really, uh, Oklahoma's got an incredible 100-year-plus football tradition. Uh, what can you tell the casual football fan or the Baylor fan about what it's like to play at one of really the four or five just premier college football schools in history?
2: it's honestly it was was something real special man it was like I I grew bonds with you know people I call family you know like it was it was special to play there like we and like just to see other people from that school you know having success in the league and all that is just like it's crazy man it seems like just yesterday we were just prepping for Baylor to play Baylor in their stadium which is very difficult to do actually but it is it's special man it's a blessing really just to see it all
1: that's really great and you know yeah you know I was thinking the other day you know like Baylor we we get really excited about two championships we get really excited about one Heisman trophy winner and Oklahoma's cranking those things out like a factory it's really it's really something impressive well before we get into more about Oklahoma and Baylor and that talk about your NFL journey and and playing offensive lineman in the NFL what is something that the average sports fan doesn't understand about playing O-line in the NFL? What is something that people just don't get? Because really it's easy, I think sometimes to comprehend what it's like to be a back or a a receiver, but what is it like? I mean, what is something that the average person would not know about playing O-line in the NFL?
2: I would say more so just about like the technique of how, you go about different blocks, which is crazy to think about, but it's like a lot of people really don't know. Like something that may look like, oh, this person got like beat inside. Maybe that's what he was planning to do to set up a screen or something. Like, like it's it's a lot of different techniques that we have to think about while we out there playing it. And not like the average person I don't takes into consideration. It's cause it's like, you know, playing O line, the only time you get you know, acknowledged is when you give up a sack or something like that. Like it's Yeah, right. You know, this is a very unnatural position to play too. So it's you know, it's it's tough. But I just think like if people kind of would take the time to understand like how important the trenches really are, they'll really like understand that the team doesn't go without, you know, the motor, basically.
1: Yeah, well, well, most of your audience for this interview is going to be B- Baylor fans, and we have seen this season the drastic difference that a, a good offensive line can make as opposed to when they're not playing well. So uh, I think Baylor fans understand. Now, you mentioned something there I want to follow up. You talked a lot about the mental component, right? There's a lot of technique and, and things you got to think through, but you also said it's an unnatural, it's kind of an unnatural physical position to play. What do you mean by that? Explain that to people.
2: Like, you literally got to, like, go backwards to stop somebody that's coming forward, and you got to, like, have your feet in the ground you plan it the, the way you got to bend your knees and bend your ankles and stuff like that and your hands and wrists. It's it's very unnatural to play offensive line. But, you know, once you get it down, it's really not that bad. But I'm still working on it, so don't think I got it on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's a journey, though. It's fun.
1: Now you've played, what I find interesting about you is the Rams have put you at different spots. You've played some guard on either side. You've played the tackle spot, which is what you did at Oklahoma. You played both right and left tackle at Oklahoma. Uh, again, for the casual fan who maybe just does not know the game at that level, talk about the difference between some of those spots along the offensive line and what they require.
2: Man, it's like honestly, I could sit here and talk about that for like 10 minutes, but it's like you got you to gotta be able to basically flip your hips into different positions. Like from right tackle to left tackle, those are two completely different islands as far as offensive line work. And then the, even in the guard position, like, you know, your knees got to be bent, your pads got to be lower, and you got to be, like, strong and stout as a guard. Whereas, like, tackle, you can be more kind of – you can work on different things, do different things, And like even if you get beat you still have time to time and space to recover whereas guard is like if you get beat you kind of gotta like you know you kind of (laughs) lost one. but it's 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 very difficult as far as like just basically training your body to try to flip um how you move one way try to flip it and do it the the exact same way on the other side Hmm. and like your hips get used to sitting in one position so therefore like if you move to a different one your hips thick it's a lot that's not like i gotta see a chiropractor all kinds of stuff (laughs) it's it's a lot see at least at least you go
1: see a chiropractor because you are getting hit every week i i go see a chiropractor because i'm Small and and weak, and my back always hurts. So, at least you've got a good excuse. Would you would you say that the biggest learning curve, as you have to like kind of move around uh, different spots, is that the physical nature of it, and and the uh, like you're talking about the the uh, positioning and the you know um, the technique? Is that is that the biggest learning curve as you try to switch spots?
2: Yeah, I would say so because as an offensive lineman, you always want to know what everyone um does on uh on each play so as far as like if you did have to move to a different spot you already know what to do anyway but yeah i would say the biggest learning curve is probably the physical part of it because mentally you should already know what everybody's supposed to do on right a certain play anyway
1: right so uh your team, the the Los Angeles Rams, has really popped this year. And part of that, and I'm I'm talking about this because a lot of our listeners will be from the Dallas area and know that Matt Stafford uh, you know played at Highland Park. He's a Texas high school legend as as far as quarterbacks go, and he's had a long NFL career with with a losing team, and here he comes to the Rams and he's injected some life into that team. Um what does a, a good NFL veteran quarterback like that? Bring to the table for a squad.
2: I mean, he brings a lot. Honestly, like obviously, he brings you know opportunities for different people and things like that. But he also brings a little like flavor to him too. Like I don't know if a lot of y'all like a lot of people notice, but he he's really good at them no look passes. Like there's not a whole lot of quarterbacks that's gonna try some stuff like that. And it's and the way he moves and how comfortable he gets in the pocket and you know just the leadership that he brings to the team is, is is special.
1: Stafford is not the only great quarterback you've played with because at Oklahoma, you got to obviously uh, win some titles with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. And both of those guys are now playing really, really well in the NFL. Um, talk about those guys, what it's like playing with each of them. And I think what, uh, what the fans that are going to hear this would want to know is like, what makes those guys special? Not just on the field. Cause we can see that, right? Like, you watch Kyler Murray play for three seconds. You see what makes him special on the field. Um, But what makes those guys special behind the scenes and why have they had so much success? Because let's be honest, right? Like they both were really doubted coming out as undersized or or not capable or whatever. And they have both really played well.
2: And it's just, uh, like I said, like quarterbacks, they got a certain like leadership that they have to bring to the team. And for each person, you know, that's different. Like, as far as, like, some may not be as vocal, but they can lead by example, you know, things like that. So it's just, it's good to see them doing their things for sure. Like, it, you know, especially, like, Kyler, because, you know, we go back to high school, we play high school ball together. But, um, <clears throat> like, just knowing them and the type of mentality that they both had, you just knew that no matter what people said about them, they were going to, you know, do their thing. Cause that's just that mentality that they have and that they've been having for a while, the whole lives pretty much.
1: So I don't, I'm a terrible interviewer. I don't know why I didn't think about the fact that you're Allen and Kyler obviously just set record after record at Allen. What is it? Dude, just talk through that kind of success. I mean, state championships, and then you get to Oklahoma and you're winning conference championships and you're in the playoff every year. Um, how, how, that's does it get old like what does that feel i can't even i can't even comprehend that level of winning
2: no nah, of course not it can never get old man. you just love you know it's, that that's what you love about this game and that's what makes this game special is like you have opportunities to win a lot of games play with a lot of great people and they go off and they're doing great things still to this day so it's like man this it's just crazy it's really a blessing just to be a part of great programs such as the, the Allen High School football program. They really prepped us for college well, and then at college they prepped us for the league well. So really I'm just blessed
1: the one thing I've told people about Kyler people who are surprised by his success. I'm like, he has literally done nothing but win football games his whole life. Like that's what that dude does all the time. Mm -hmm. Allen and on. So let's move into Baylor versus Oklahoma. Uh, I want to talk about Lincoln Riley as much attention as he does get. I think he's underrated. Like he has just kind of quietly and quickly become one of the most prolific coaches and on any level. Um, so tell me a little bit about him. What's he like? I mean, what what is practice like with him? What's he like in meetings? Uh, what's he like as a leader? I want to know about this guy.
2: He's, um, I would say he's one of the coaches that, you know, that, you know, make the game fun for everyone. You know, he kind of brought, like, when he when he first got to Oklahoma, you know, he kind of brought that young swag, you know, to the offense and stuff like that. And, you know, just watching him operate as an offensive coordinator it kind of made the game easier for a lot of us because he he was able to, you know, kind of, I don't want to say dumb down the plays, but it made them easier for us to comprehend and things like that. So it opened up a lot of opportunities clearly for, you know, guys to flourish.
1: So it's 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 a communication thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. And he's, you know, he's a great speaker, and especially like when it comes to like motivating the players to play. Like he's, yeah, Coach Riley's that dude.
1: And, you know, you did. You played under Stoops, I think, for a season or two before Riley was named the head coach. You talked a little bit about that younger, just kind of that swagger that the younger coach brings. But what else would you say was, like, the biggest transition from Stoops to Riley as as a program?
2: Uh, Just kind of, like, I would say for me, just kind of, like, just seeing some of the old-fashioned ways just kind of change because this game is always changing. And the fact that they were able to you know, kind of adapt to the way the game is played now and things like that. And just seeing, like, I'm glad I did get to see uh, Coach Luce because there were benefits on both sides, you know, the old sure, school sure. And, and the new school. And it was just like, just watching that transition, that's pretty much all it was from old school to new school.
1: What makes Lincoln Riley's offense so hard to defend? And I don't expect you, obviously, to be, go giving out all the secrets, but, you know, Uh, what is it that makes year after year, you know, people watch film and figure things out, and yet he continues to try. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It doesn't matter who the receivers are. Those guys are going to put up the backs. Everybody on that team is going to put up monster numbers and beat defenses every year. What is it about his scheme that's so brilliant?
2: Like I said, I just think he makes it, you know, easier to comprehend the game. And him and Coach B, they do a good job with that uh the run game and all that type of stuff. But um, I would say like he's really good at, you know, he's really like an offensive genius in my mind. Like that's why when he was the OC, like I was I was really loving it. Like he still is, you know, he's still the boss man right? In, in charge right. of everything. But it's it's just he knows how to he like he knows how to use his pieces very well. Like guys, certain guys and their talents and things like that, like He does a great job of setting them up for success, in my opinion, and, like, does so in a way that's not – it can be the same, but something might be a little different as far as, like, something he can add on on a play or something different like that. But he does a great job.
1: So, Baylor and Oklahoma is not a true rivalry. I don't want to pretend like it's a true rivalry because it's not, right? Like, you guys are true rivals with Texas, and I think even Bedlam is probably a a much bigger rivalry. But And yet, over the past decade, when I think Baylor-Oklahoma, I always think of an intense football game, right? I I even think of that that Matt Rule's first year when Baylor only won one game all season— and yet that that game against Oklahoma came down to the wire, right? It's yeah. always it's always a competitive game. Uh, and, you know, Baylor fans would point out like 2011 and RG3's kind of Heisman throw. Baylor yeah. fans would want to talk about 2014 when Baylor had the biggest win in Norman um, in Bob Stoops' entire uh, career. But then Oklahoma fans, of course, would come back and say, well, think about 2019 when we beat you twice to win the championship, right? So it's been kind of a fun matchup for about a decade now you mentioned something that I appreciate because I don't know if you saw this a couple weeks ago there was a Texas defensive back that was talking smack about Baylor's home field advantage and you mentioned that it's actually a tough place to play so tell me about that kind of matchup Baylor Oklahoma what it's like what is it like being in those
2: games well uh me personally it's always like it's always been a tough game against I mean, maybe not like maybe even even if the score was like uh we got we scored a lot and y'all didn't the score didn't reflect how hard we had to work for a lot of them points like Baylor um, especially when when Baylor's at home the crowd gets really loud and really rowdy and it's like the players are always gritty like I Baylor is always a gritty game. Like we always had to grind to get, like, to get the dubs against Baylor. So that's just me, on the inside, you know, telling telling y'all how I was as a player. That, that it was always one of them games. Where it was like, all right, we're gonna have to, <laughs> we're gonna have to get it going against them.
1: Well, I'm sure that's what people love to hear. Do you have any like specific stories? Like, if you think about. The, the games you played against Baylor? Is there a story or a moment that stands out that, that would be a fun story for us to hear? Uh, I
2: got to think on this one because it was always it was always something against Baylor. I'm sure. But I don't know if I got necessarily no crazy story or nothing like that, but I would always love y'all's defense because they would talk trash. So we'd be talking <laughs> talking trash the whole game, so if I caught one of them, and I and I got him on the ground and <laughs> stuff, so, but uh, no, I don't really got no no specific stories nothing like that.
1: I love that. Okay, so okay, well let me let me ask you a follow up then. Who was the biggest trash talker on on Baylor's defense when you played him?
2: Oh, that's tough. That's either uh, one. That's either somebody. It's either somebody in the linebackers room or somebody on the D ends room. Um, I can't remember um his name but he was number 52 for y'all as a dn not too long ago like a couple of years ago.
1: was that was that greg roberts i'm gonna i'm gonna look on the roster greg roberts greg
2: yeah. roberts yeah 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 he was he was, he was trash talking but uh he was always a competitive player and that's what we loved about him too
1: bobby you're gonna laugh at me because i i did not play football beyond freshman year of high school so i have like no room to talk or experience, and yet I remember trash talk being my favorite part of the game, man. Yeah. It is, it is a blast. Oh, yeah. um, That's what
2: makes it really fun, though.
1: Yeah, well, and especially when you can shake hands at the end of the day and, and you know, walk off happy, like, it, it's it's fun. It's fun. Right. So how much have you gotten to watch this year's Oklahoma team?
2: Uh, I, I catch them, like, so the annoying part is a lot of them games would be when we catch in flights for away games sure, and I sure. would lose it on the plane but for the most part I got to watch a decent amount.
1: What do fans need to know about this year's team because I think I think the storyline everybody knows and the one that's the country is talking about is the quarterback switch and and kind of the way the offense has come alive with with Caleb Williams. But what what are some of the other things that fans need to know going into this matchup about this Oklahoma team?
2: Uh I would say like no matter what, it's always, you know, we're playing for each other in that locker room, and that's generally how it's always been. And that started long, but that's what makes that program so special. Like, it's, it's really like a brotherhood, and they're almost like a fraternity almost. It's like, you know, it's, it's really special. And at the end of the day, you know, whether we number eight or number whatever, that doesn't matter what we make to the playoff, even though we still undefeated, but we're not going to get into that. Listen,
1: listen, Bobby, let me tell you, from the Baylor perspective, that was a trash ranking. I mean, that, <laughs> unbelievable. I'm with yeah. you. And, and here's the truth, man. If if Oklahoma runs the gauntlet and goes undefeated and wins the Big 12, you got to put them in. Like, yeah. I don't care what they're ranked this week. You got to put them in at that point. You would think, right? right? right okay so you 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 mentioned like this team's going to have chemistry they're going to have teamwork uh we know from experience Oklahoma's a team that fights that's not a team that's going to roll over in the second half like a certain other team in the conference right now (laughs) but what do you expect to see Saturday I don't know how much you've gotten to watch Baylor Baylor's got um a defense that before this last Saturday I would have told you Baylor's got an elite defense and I don't know what this TCU quarterback was drinking before the game but he he
2: tore us up
1: I caught um, a little
2: bit of that game. I didn't get to watch it all, but I caught
1: some. Dude, freshman in his first start throws for 460 and runs for 70-some-odd. Like, Man. I don't know why Gary was keeping him on the bench, but <laughs> I don't want to get back into that. It's um, rough. So game, the game is in Waco. You've got, you've got uh, a team in Baylor that's going to be angry. You've got a team in Oklahoma that's angry about their ranking and trying to prove something and has really played well for three weeks now. What do you expect to see?
2: i expect to see a great game per usual it's gonna be gritty it's for sure gonna be gritty like but uh you know it's Boomer sooner all the way but uh yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a good game it's gonna be a good game for sure i know they don't come out fighting because it's always like i said it's always tough to play in waco
1: what do you think would be baylor's like if baylor was gonna get an upset what would be the keys like what what are the things they have to do well to compete in this game
2: Nah, I ain't going to talk down on my boy. You tried to set me up. I'm, not trying, up. I'm not trying to set you up. I'm not nah, trying to set you up. No, I don't. Honestly, if they come out and just play like Baylor, like, that's, that's trust me, that's a good enough fight right there. There's definitely, I think it's going to be a fight. It's for sure going to be a dog yeah. fight.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm just, seriously. It was the year after you graduated, but that 2019 game in Waco, they went down to the wire, was so fun. I, I enjoyed that so much. The last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about is this conference realignment deal, right? We just talked about it. Oklahoma has run the gauntlet in the Big Twelve. I mean, it's it's not even close as to who's been the premier team in the Big Twelve, and. You know, you played in the Big Twelve. I don't know where this perception that the Big Twelve is is a second tier conference comes from because I see good football every
2: week. Yeah, um, people, they, i don't know why they always disrespect the Big Twelve. But yeah, like we, pro- the Big Twelve produces players. Like we have really good players all over the place. Like I don't get it.
1: I'm with you, and yet there is the transition coming. Texas and Oklahoma jump into the SEC. All three of your bowl games where you played, you played SEC beating Auburn in the uh, Sugar, and yeah. and then the two playoff games. You know, unfortunately, I was rooting for Oklahoma in both those games. Uh, tough losses, but, you know, playing neck and neck with, with SEC. How do you feel about Oklahoma moving to that league? What do you expect that to look like? And, like, frankly, can we be honest about it? How do you expect Oklahoma as a program to respond when they're going from being top dog in a good conference to having to, you're really gonna have to fight to be top dog in a, in a better conference.
2: Uh, Well, I think, I think it was a a good move um, as far as Oklahoma, as far as like getting into some different competition just, and uh, I think we'll respond great because I think this move will also help bring in recruits. Right. And stuff like that. So I think, um, you know, once they kind of put the pieces where they need them, I think they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll be worth it. They'll definitely be worth the watch, and it'll be worth the move over to the SEC.
1: Bobby, is there anything else I haven't covered that, that you'd like to say to Baylor fans other than Boomer Sooner? We know you say that.
2: But, uh, <laughs> I was getting ready to say it. Too.
1: That's that's, <laughs> that's right. Funny. That's right. Any Anything else that, that we can glean from your, your wisdom and your experience about Oklahoma and this matchup and, and all of that?
2: Uh, nah, man, we pretty much covered it all. That's all I got for y'all today.
1: I want to thank Bobby once again for coming on. But Please bear with me. He was an outstanding guest, and I loved a few of the things that he said there. I love hearing about the home field advantage that does exist at McLean Stadium, especially from somebody who plays at a uh, premier school like Oklahoma. That was really good to hear. I loved hearing about how even in Baylor's down years, uh, he has seen Baylor always as a gritty, tough, physical football team. Baylor fans, I know it's been a rough week this week with the loss this past weekend, but a lot of praise coming when you've got Texas Tech hiring your assistant head coach, when you've got TCU rushing the field because they were able to beat you, and when you've got an Oklahoma lineman saying that Baylor has a great home field and a tough football team. A lot of good stuff there. Thank you again, Bobby. And thanks for listening, Baylor fans. I hope you're enjoying. Please bear with me. And now I'll throw it back to Travis. Sick'em.
0: Who? My goodness, I am not quite sure how I can follow up an interview like that. Scotty, well done, sir. Thank you for hooking us up. And man, what a special interview. Bobby, thanks for coming on. We will welcome you back anytime. And hey, best of luck to you guys the rest of the season. But now we talk OU I am like Bryce Petty, just ready for OU. You and we've got big noon kickoff in the house. Guys, I am so excited for big noon kickoff to be here. Matt Leinert, Bob Stoops. Yeah, Bob Stoops. I like him. Get off my back. He's not with OU anymore. So I like him. Reggie Bush, the whole crew going to be in Waco. And look, I know we all wanted game day to be here, but hey, big noon kickoff. They haven't been to Waco yet. So I'm excited to get these guys on campus. And look, I have started to drift away from college game day as well. And I have started to listen more to this Fox, Big Noon Kickoff, and guys, I really enjoy it. I encourage you to watch Big Noon Kickoff, also because I'm not a huge fan of ESPN, but uh, that's something for another day. This is going to be great exposure for us anytime you can get a nationally televised show. To come to your campus, you take advantage of it, and I am okay with an 11 a.m. kickoff. What's so wrong with that? I I I know that we all want that cool night games where like literally it's cooler. But hey, at at this point of the season, like, you got three choices: 11 a.m., 2:30, I think 3:30, and then like 6:30. Those are your three choices. Okay, so it's gonna be one of the three. Eleven AM kickoff, that's totally fine. Get out there, get you your morning tailgate in, get you some mimosas, whatever your uh your poison is. Get in there, be loud against OU. Might be also their last time coming into Waco. And then hey, after the game, go tailgate after. Go tailgate after. You got two, you can tailgate before, you can tailgate after, you can tailgate both. I know Blake Blackmar, he's doing a pig. So hey, if you're gonna be in town, get out and tailgate and have some fun, and hey, maybe swing by Blake Backmar's uh, tailgate there and get some pig. Get some pig. Okay, let's t- actually talk about some OU football here. Overall, number eight in the country, nine and 6 and zero in the conference. Started the year pretty shaky there with Spencer Rattler at quarterback, but since Caleb Williams has become the starter, they have looked more more like the OU team we are used to seeing it just seems like ever since he's been inserted into that starting lineup the rest of the team has really responded so man uh, to me that just speaks to leadership if you've got a guy out there that everyone else is willing to fight for and you can see that physical change on the field when the guy comes in that that's leadership to me that's leadership so on offense there's first in scoring offense. These are all big 12 ranks. First in scoring offense, 42 points per game. First in total offense, 477 yards per game. First in passing offense. Great. Yeah, great. First in passing offense, 295 per game. Fourth in rushing offense with 181 yards per game. And Caleb Williams, talk about him again at quarterback. He's got 71% completion. That, that is, that is really good. 71% over a thousand yards passing since coming in against Texas, 14 touchdowns, one interception. We all love how Gary Bohannon has taken care of the ball, but man, 14 touchdowns, one interception in four games, in four games, guys, that, that is impressive. So they just look like a completely new team there with Caleb kind of hoping that we were going to see Rattler because we've played against him last year. We've got a lot of tape on him. You know, we may know a little bit more of his tendencies. Not that we don't have tape on Caleb Williams. It's much less, but also these guys haven't played against Caleb Williams. So yeah, I was kind of hoping we were going to see Rattler, but it is what it is. We've got Caleb Williams coming in here to Waco on Saturday, along with Kennedy Brooks at running back over 800 yards rushing, nine touchdowns, 6.1 yards per rush average, and also the best wide receiver group in the Big 12, for sure. Marvin Mims, their top guy, over 600 yards receiving, four touchdowns, and then they've got Mario Williams with three touchdowns. Jaden Hasselwood with six touchdowns, Jeremiah Hall at tied in with four touchdowns. Austin Stogner also at tied end with two touchdowns. They are very good at spreading the wealth. They're not going to key in on one guy and another team that is very good at using their tied ends in the passing game. Looking at the defense, and this is where most people thought that OU was going to take a step forward, but I think they're about the same, about the same. Okay, sixth in scoring defense in the Big 12, allowing 24 points per game. Sixth in total defense, 383 yards per game. Third in rushing defense, 111 yards per game. And then fifth in the Big 12 in sacks with 21 total. They're just right there in the middle of the pack, kind of with everyone else. Um, but last, yes, last, 10th in the Big 12 in passing defense, allowing 272 yards Per game, That defense, though, highlighted on the defensive line by Isaiah Thomas and Perry and Winfrey, both second team all big 12 selections last year. They've got nine combined sacks, 10 combined tackles for loss, and Thomas has three forced fumbles. And then right behind him, right behind them is Nick Benito, their linebacker, probably their best defensive player. He's got five sacks, six tackles for loss, a preseason all big 12 selection. I'm a big fan of Benito's game, and I I like watching this guy play.
1: And now the bare Necessities.
0: Bare Necessities this week. Let's get into them, and hopefully these will actually apply to the game this week. The first one is pressure Caleb Williams. I don't think that's a shock to anyone here. The pressure just wasn't there against TCU, and look what happened. If we aren't able to pressure Caleb Williams, it is going to be a long day for this defense. Someone on that defensive line needs to step up and have a big game for us. Whether it's Franklin, Maxwell, or Hall, Apu, I I don't care. But one of these guys needs to have a big, big game for us. And if we do get pressure, we need to be sound. Don't run past him and make the tackle if you get him in your arms. Secondly, the defensive backs need to cover well on scrambles, okay? Our defensive backs have shown a lot of weakness over the last couple of games. OU, the number one passing offense in the Big 12. OU is going to get theirs offensively, okay? It is going to happen. They're that good. But we need to limit the big plays. And when Caleb Williams scrambles, which will happen, we need to stay sound in coverage. And we need a big day from our DBs. Lastly on offense, Bohannon, he needs to be a playmaker. I have confidence he's going to play within the offense, but plays are going to break down and he needs to make plays for us when they do. The OU pass defense is the worst in the Big 12, but they are decent at getting to the quarterback. So he's definitely going to need to be efficient but definitely is going to have to make some off-script plays for us to win this game. And whether or not we run the ball well, I don't think that's going to matter in Bohannon's case. Either way, this dude is going to have to make some big throws. Game prediction. Yes, what is your game prediction? I will tell you right now. So what worries me the most about this matchup is they are much better in rush defense than they are in passing defense. And so rushing is our bread and butter on offense, which seems to be their defensive strength. And likely we'll see OU stack the box and make Bohannon beat them. I think they're going to watch the TCU tape closely and may take a few things from that TCU Defense, but that also hints as to why I put Bohannon making plays into the bare necessities. But honestly, I do think this game is going to come down to quarterback play. Which two of these quarterbacks is going to make the off script dynamic plays? Caleb Williams, he has been great extending plays, and Bohannon has just been okay okay off script i wouldn't be shocked if he uses his legs a little bit more in this game i would like to see him maybe have seven rushes this game he's got to be a weapon with his legs and off script so yeah I, i think this comes down to the more dynamic quarterback play and that being said i think caleb williams does make a few more plays than Bohannon does and a few more big plays and I think OU escapes Waco here with a close win 35-31 Oklahoma little big 12 round table before I let you guys get out of here last week I went five hundred two and two to bring my total to fifteen and fifteen on the year. I have got to get in that positive win column. But last week I missed on BU minus six and a half, and I missed on Kansas plus twenty four just by one point. Kansas State won thirty five to ten. Man, I just missed out on that one. But where I was right, I had Oklahoma State minus three, and they just annihilated West Virginia. And then the same thing with Iowa state had them minus six and a half points and they destroyed Texas 30 to seven. So it was two and two last week. And looking ahead to this week, starting with our game, OU coming to Waco, Baylor's getting five and a half points. And I'm actually going to take Baylor with the points on this one. West Virginia is going to Kansas State. Kansas State, minus six and a half is where I am heading with this one. They're playing at home. West Virginia, just up and down season. I think Kansas State pulls this one out by more than touchdown. Iowa State visits Tech, and I think Tech is going to get a little bit of a boost being at home with with all the excitement revolving around the program, but I'm taking ISU minus 10 and a half. They've got to win out to make it into that Big 12 championship game uh, to even have a shot. So I am taking Iowa State minus 10 and a half. Kansas visits UT and boy, man, man, this would be great. Great to see uh, Kansas and, and Texas another loss. They are getting 30 and a half points. So I'm going to take Kansas plus 30 and a half. Last game here on the docket, TCU at Oklahoma State. I am going to take Oklahoma State minus 13 points. I don't think Chandler Morris... Is going to be able to uh, have the same type of game against us. Also, visiting Stillwater is uh, extremely hard. Thanks for joining us again. Tough loss there to TCU, but we are on to the next one and ready for OU. Bobby Evans, you were awesome. You were so awesome. We were so lucky to get you and have you on. And Scotty, well done, sir. Hopefully we can get more guys in like that for y'all. And Bobby, you know, like I said, if you ever want to come back, we'll be happy to have you. Big noon kickoff in Waco, Texas this weekend. Let's have a good turnout and let's be loud as this also might be the Sooners' last trip into Waco, Texas, and we want to make it memorable for them we all know what happened two years ago in Waco we need to avenge it we need to avenge it should be an exciting game really looking forward to this one as always bears. the please bear with me podcast was created by Scotty Swingler is hosted and produced by Travis Corley, in affiliation with 247 Sports and Bears Illustrated.